This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined on CFB today by Jim Tomey, played at Morton, played abroad in Belgium with, with um, Lockerin, played at Man City, Carlisle, another spell with Morton as well, as, as well as an extra foreign adventure um, when he went to Scandinavia and went to Sweden as well. Jim, first of all, thanks for joining me. You're welcome, Callum. The, the first question I've got for you, younger generation of, of fans, um, Look at the modern game now. The look at Morton now in the Championship crowds averaging about eighteen hundred to two thousand. But just tell me how you grew into football and how you joined Morton for the first time. Uh, how I joined Morton was um, I was playing for Hockingill uh, Stars and I came from Easter House, and we were playing in a cup final up in Alexander Park. And after the game, I was approached by uh, Benny. Benny and Al were at the game, and Benny asked if he could speak to me. And I was, I was just really disappointed because I'd missed a penalty in the in the shootout sort of thing. We lost the final, so I was a bit disappointed in that. But anyway, it came to my Benny and Hal came to ask my dad if we could come to the house afterwards. They did and spoke to my mum and dad, etc., and said they would love to sign me. And uh, it really went from there, Calum. Um, I remember Benny. My dad afterwards saying that Benny slept on my five pound note. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad was delighted about that one. So that was really the start of it, Callum. Yeah, up in Alexander Park for Hawking Gill. In terms of Benny, what was he like as a character? Because those sort of guys aren't really in the game now when you when you when you think back. Benny well, Benny was my first well, probably Alan was I would say Alan was my first major really in the reserve sort of thing, but uh, playing under Benny, he was, he was a fantastic manager. He could, he could tell you, you know, tell, tell you the truth sort of thing, but it would, it would very, very seldom fall out with you. So in that, in that respect, um, obviously Mike was a good cop and Benny was a bad cop sort of thing, but there was not many times that Benny was a bad cop. So I would say he was a fantastic manager at that time, definitely. And in terms of the coming through the reserve system. Did you have jobs to do at that stage that the young guys now don't, aren't asked to do? Say again, Cal, I'm sorry, I missed that. Did, did you have, see when you were coming through the system, did you have jobs to do in and around Capolo, um, like cleaning the stadium, cleaning boots, etc.? No, 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 there was none of that when I signed um, um, my first professional forms. No, there, there was sort of kids, younger kids, 16-year-olds, 15-year-olds that would do that sort of thing, but... No, I don't remember any reserve lads doing it at all, no. And in terms of your first team break, when did you feel that you were going to get that opportunity? And also, when was the first time you felt, I've got a real chance of making a career in the game here? That's, that's a difficult question now, you know. Um, I, I, I would say I really struggled my first year uh, down the Capelo. I was a bit introvert and didn't really commit myself really till, till the second year. And I think it was very close between myself and one person, I can't mind the boy's name, who was going to get freed that, that year. 
and Alan, Alan McGraw decided to keep myself. So that that in itself was a lucky break. The first team, I had no really any thoughts because it was a fantastic team in that time. The players that were in it were just you're just in awe of them at the time when you train with them. Um, probably probably when I got on against Aberdeen, that was probably that was my my debut sort of thing. I got on the last ten minutes against Aberdeen at Capital and felt the force force of Willie Miller battering me into the main stand. Uh, obviously, um, my debut after my debut, I thought, okay, maybe something can happen here. It's also um, probably one of my better games in Morton, my first game. So that's when you start to think. That's when you start to think. Oh. Maybe there's a wee chance here of um, doing something in the team. See, when you think back to that era and you think about the Aberdeen team, you mentioned Willie Miller there. What was it that Morton had over Aberdeen? Because they were the bogey club Aberdeen, which Willie Miller's went on record as saying, as soon as they got, got into Inverclyde, they just thought, here we go again. Well, I think it was, I think it was tough for a lot of teams, especially coming to Capital. I mean, we didn't we didn't lose many games down down there. Um, we always gave teams a game. I think the skill we had in my team as well. You know, we'd, it was really mostly a settled team. There was maybe two, two or three players maybe flutter in and out, but mostly it was a settled team. But um, you, you players that like Richie at the time obviously was in top form. Jimmy Holmes, Jimmy Rooney, Bobby Thompson, Roy Baines and goal, David Hayes. I mean, really, you just rattle them off. John McNeil. You know, George Anderson, Joe McLaughlin, nearly all. It was just a fantastic time, probably for Morton, to get all these players together at that time. We just sort of gelled. It was a fantastic dressing room. Who was the biggest character out of that lot? Was it Richie? Oh, there was many. There was many. And Andy wasn't really a joker. You had to be wary of people like Jimmy Holmes and Jimmy Renew. They were absolutely superb with their one-liners and stuff like that. I could put you down in a minute. So they... Jimmy Rooney and Jimmy Holmes for me were the two. Andy was also a big character, and it was a great dressing room, as I said. Everybody could chip in, but the the two that I would say were between Holmes and Rooney they were absolutely superb with their one-liners. And in terms of the management, how 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 would Benny handle that situation? Benny let us go on with it. Benny always said to us, "As long as you do it on a Saturday." I mean, we were a, a wee bit naughty at times. Sometimes we'd, we'd go for a few beers after training and stuff, but. As I said, Benny was the sort of manager. If, if he didn't do it, then you were told about it and you were out of the team. But uh, he let us go on with it. He let us bond. And it, it was good the bonding session. Me being the youngest as well, the lot of them. So it was, it was good to be around them and get that experience as well, what they, they were like. So as I said, Benny, Benny let us go on with it. When you break into the team, you're, you're renowned in your first spell being a goal-scoring midfielder. Just what was it like breaking into the team and, and, and also getting that experience of playing week in, week out at a place like Capilolo, which, as I said at the start, now you're getting 1,800, 2,000 there, but when you were playing there, it was packed to the rafters. Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we did get good, good crowds at that time, but it was, still, it was still a bit disappointing at that time when we had a good team down there to see all the buses, Celtic buses leaving, Rangers buses leaving. And you're like, come and watch us. But as you said, we probably, I don't know the average when, when I was there, but some of the, some of the time you played Rangers and Celtic down the capital, it was just like, wow, how many people are in here? It was just incredible. From getting into the first team, um, it's just a matter of really um, a bit of luck, really, as well, probably along the way. I mean, I started well, so that, that obviously helped my debut. That helped a lot. So, um, as I said, I, I didn't really look too much forward in it. I just thought, 
I just look, you always look forward to the next match sort of thing. I said, being the youngest, being 17, 18 in, in that squad and uh, playing in that team was, was a great experience for me. You mentioned your debut there. Just talk me through that debut from your perspective. Um, well, the debut, the debut, yeah. yeah. Well, I actually played the night before at Love Street. Again, I was playing for the reserves against St Mirren at Love Street. And uh, I thought I played really well the first half and came in at half time. And Alan said to me, you're off. And I thought, well, what have I done? I thought I played really well. And then about five minutes later, and Benny comes across and said, report for first team duty tomorrow night. I was like, OK. I wasn't obviously expecting to be playing, maybe on the bench or something like that. But in the squad was, was good enough. But when we got there, he also told me I'm starting here tonight and I thought, absolutely, brilliant, great. But um, and to go off to the, I think I, I made the first couple of goals for Andy and Bobby Thompson or both for Andy and managed to score a couple myself and had the post with a flying header from a hat trick. Yeah, that, that night stands out a lot. It was a, a fantastic night for myself and it was also a great result for the club to, to win 6-0 against Motherwell Capital. See, after a, an impressive debut like that, how do you handle that when you're young? Do you go for a few beers? Do you get caught up in it? Or do you think, right, it was a good start, but I know I need to get my head down to break into this team regularly? Well, after, after the game as well, I actually got a lift off the Motherwell bus into Glasgow. We had Ali McLeod on, on board and all the Motherwell players, and that, that was a bit... <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit awkward, to tell you the truth. But that, I, I went straight home after that, as I, as I remember, and... I remember going into my house, my mum and dad, big smells on their face and saying, absolutely brilliant, well done, we heard it on the news, etc, etc. So, um, I had no expectations, Callum, no expectations at all, just, as I said, just to try and get in that squad and that team and do as best you can and let's see what happens. In terms of Walton, it's been a while since the club's been in the top flight of Scottish football, but when you were playing there in the, at that level, who were the toughest teams you came up against? We mentioned the great Aberdeen side, but who were the other teams you thought, oh, they're going to give us a tough game? They were all tough, Callum. They were all, there was everybody had, had good football players on the team, young players, and, and good, good, played good football. Um, so there was, no, there, was no, there was no team that we feared at that time, absolutely none whatsoever. We went into every game expecting we're going to get something from it. There was the Aberdeen didn't fear us, Rangers or Celtic didn't fear us. I think they proved that by going to these grounds and as I said, especially down at Capelo, there's not many teams beat us down there. And you mentioned Capelo and the power of Capelo. See when teams came and they were warming up and, and the, the first whistle went, could you see at times that they were quite nervous even though they were big hitters? They didn't interest me at all, honestly. I never looked at the opposition really to see how they fell or what they were doing or who I was going to be playing against. I just went on to that park, um, tried to do my best and didn't matter, as I said, the name didn't matter who was on the shirt that I was playing against. I was just, I was, I was just, I was confident in my own ability, well, getting confidence in my own ability that I could play. In, in terms of the first spell, how do you reflect back on that? Because it was clearly very successful and interest came in it for you. It was, as a club, as a club as a whole, it was probably, well, a lot of people say it's one of the best times of life supporting Mont at that time. For me, it's just a pity we didn't go full time. If we, do, if we did go full time, then maybe we could, could have won one of those semi-finals sort of thing that we were in. So, um, 
Yeah, yeah, that's better, Callum, yeah. And then the interest comes in, what was it that attracted you to move to Belgium? Because you think about football now and there's more British-based players going abroad, but back then it, was, it wasn't as, as, as far-reaching and, and, and expected as it is now. No, no, you're probably right, Callum. It's probably more to do with a bit of money. That was probably the thing then. Obviously, we weren't well paid at Capital. Uh, probably football players on, on the whole weren't well paid at that time. So, I think it was more money than the money. I saw that in my eyes, so I think that the money was, was the thing. And going to Belgium was an absolutely fantastic experience. I played, I played with some incredible players like Gregor Lato. Um, the best player I ever played with was Lebanski of Poland. Uh, Preben Elkia, Denmark, um, Arnold Gudjonsson, Iceland. I mean, there was every single player was an international player. So that was totally different for me as well. And when I got there as well, I didn't know the rule that they can only play three players in the Belgian league, three foreign players rather, in the Belgian league, and we had about seven or eight. So it was very, very difficult to get in the team. And I played, he played me all the time in the UEFA Cup because you can also can play as many foreign players as you want. But in the Belgian league, as I said, I didn't get many, many games at all. Towards the end of the season, this my second season, I did. I got a few games, but. Yeah, as I said, Cam, it's probably, it's probably the money rather than anything else really that took me there. And see, when you were in Belgium, was the dressing room environment different? Was the training sessions different? Was it, or was it kind of the same, but um, just obviously in a different country? Well, the training, for one, was completely different, Callum. Um, normally, in pre-season training, you go the first day and someone points at a mountain about five miles away and just <laughs> run up there and run back again. In Belgium, the first day in Belgium, yeah, I remember the trainer Robert Lashai's throwing a ball at me and I was like, what, what do I do with, with, do with that? And he was like, kick it up in the air, control it, do this, do that. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the first day of pre-season training. This, is, this doesn't sound right. So it's completely different that way, tactically, etc. Obviously at Morton, we can only train two, possibly three times a week. So it was more on fitness rather than anything else. We've, I had more time also in Belgium to spend doing the tactics side of it, which also a big eye-opener to myself as well. And in playing with those players you mentioned earlier, internationals, Johnsons and the likes, what was it like also interacting socially with those guys? Could you get a good laugh with them? Or is that, again, something that was totally different compared to life in Scotland? That, that, the social part of it was completely different, yeah. yeah, yeah they all seem to keep their health to themselves um, across that way. Um, uh, playing with those players, as I said, was... Although I didn't play a lot, I got I took a hell of a lot of experience for the play, some players like Lato and Lebanski when I watched them and played with Lebanski mostly in the reserves. It was just, as I said, the best player I ever played with. It was just absolutely magnificent. And in terms of the standard of living there, did you did you feel that you struggled to settle, or were you were you happy there but just unhappy no, with the playing yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being a Scotsman, we got on with most people, so yeah, we met. Um, met a lot of friends pretty early and that helped to settle in. Uh, there wasn't wasn't many English or Scottish people there I can I can think of. Jim Beck came back the last three months that I played there. Uh played with Jim Beck. But as I said, the social side of things no, it was completely different. Everybody seemed to keep their self to themselves. And in those UEFA Cup games, what was it like playing in European competition? Stunning. Absolutely stunning. It was like wow. The first the first game I played was um, 
a team called Stalmielets in, Port- in Poland. And there must have been, I think there was about 30,000 in the stadium that night. And all they did was had, had this whistle going for the full 90 minutes. It's, it was really so strange. But a completely different experience to be with the way they play football and then going to uh, Benfica and playing uh, the Stadio de Luz, playing against Benfica, which like, wow, some of these players are just magnificent. It's a, it's a completely different way, yeah, that I was just there playing football. The, the proper way to play football, Callum, yeah. And you mentioned the proper way to play football. Um, as you know, when you were playing in Scotland, far more physical back then than it is now. Again, I imagine in Belgium and in the European setup, as you've just hinted at, it was very different. Far more emphasis on playing with the ball. Far more emphasis on your touch, yeah, your vision, yeah, your awareness. Possibly more about awareness of what's going on round about you. Especially the midfield players, you could see they knew exactly where to go and their touch, etc., was exceptional and. They were just so well well coached sort of thing, you could see, you know. I wouldn't say Benny didn't coach us, he didn't really need to coach us because um, we, play, we just played the, the normal system that you do in Scotland, the 4 4 2, whereas you go abroad and you maybe change the 4 3 3 or 4 5 1 or, you know, different systems and stuff like that and getting used to that. So, in that, in that way, yeah, it was a little bit different. I returned to the UK, something that comes around. Billy McNeil comes in for you to take you to Manchester City. Just describe your, your thoughts and feelings when, when a legend like Billy McNeil gives you the call to say, I want to sign you. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was actually in um, my mum and dad's house in um, Denison one night and my mum picked up the phone. There's a Billy McNeil on the phone for you. I was like, right, okay. And uh, I spoke to Billy obviously on the phone. He was still at Selkie at the time. And he, was, um, he said he wanted to take me to Celtic and uh, we would get it sorted in the next two to three weeks sort of thing. So basically I was going to Celtic at first and I don't know if you remember now that Billy got the sag. I think he wanted a pay rise and Celtic wouldn't pay him it. Uh, again, he phoned me back up and said, I'm going to a big club in England. I can't tell you who it is at the moment, but I want to take you down there. Also it turned out the uh, Manchester City. And in terms of that, see, even though you thought you were going to Celtic initially and then it was City, was there any apprehension at all or were you just saying, no, whatever it takes, I'm going? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. There was no, no apprehension about going to any club. I mean, Aberdeen tried to buy me just after I left, I left Morton. I don't know if you remember the thriller about that as well. Um, Fergie wanted to pay, I think it was 100000 for me. And uh, the Scottish press came out and... Well, everybody, unions, etc., come out and said, foreign clubs can't do this. Uh, they can't buy somebody for 70 grand and sell them back for, I mean, 30 grand profit these days when you think about it. But anyway, there was such a furore about it that the SFA stopped me from coming back. And I'm like, but this is the rule. This is the rule now. I, I can move and freeze my contract. This is, this is what happens now. But uh, as I said, um, Fergie was the same as well one Sunday afternoon in Belgium. My wife says I'm Alex Ferguson on the phone. And that's when that conversation started that he would like to bring me back. But as I said, there was such a furore about it that unions were involved and everybody was involved. And eventually they were saying, no, you can't come back. And so, how, did, how did you feel about that? Because obviously with the power of hindsight now, you look at Alex Ferguson and what he's achieved. And is there part of you that thinks, I just wish I was part of that? I was, I was gutted, absolutely gutted. I mean, it was only about a year and a half later that they were winning the, the Cup Winners' Cup, you know, against Real Madrid. So I was absolutely, yeah, I was absolutely gutted because it was the rules. I mean, I did nothing wrong. 
it wasn't me. I didn't do anything wrong. That was that was available to me at that time, freed my contract. So I also took up the offer of it. So yeah, I was absolutely gutted I didn't get to uh, Aberdeen, yeah, or Celtic, or Celtic, yeah. City is the destination that you end up going to. Billy McNeil takes you there. Just what was Billy like as a manager and as a person? Because we hear so much about him from his playing careers, which obviously nobody can dispute was incredibly successful. But I want to know about the person. What was he like as a guy? Um, very difficult to get to know. And very, I would say, old school. He wasn't, uh, I don't know, he wasn't like a manager like, like I had. It was very right in, right in your face sort of thing, and um, I don't know. It was, it was a strange manager for, for me, really. His philosophy was: if you don't lose a goal, you don't lose a game. And I, most of us were like, let's score a goal and win the game rather than think about it that way. So he was, again, he wasn't really tactical at all or coaching-wise, anything like that. But obviously, he been he was a very successful player and. To, to a lot of us at Man City at the time, it was just a wee bit too too hard-handed sort of thing. And um, but obviously, obviously, um, a very successful manager and and player. Absolutely. And in, in in terms of City, lots of people see them now, the glitz, the glamour, um, the stadium they've got now. But when you played for City, it was the real City, if you want, when they were at Main Road, um, crowds right on top of the pitch. What was it like playing at Main Road? Because a real classic football ground. It's a very iconic stadium, yeah. Yeah, the first time I walked out there against Barnsley, there was I got twenty five thousand or something there in the second division. I thought, wow. And the Kipax, as you walk out of the stadium was just absolutely more most most weeks than not. Um it was it was a tremendous stadium to play in. Um, especially especially probably when my last game there was against Charlton. When the official attendance said I think it was forty eight thousand and the, to me there was Sixty to seventy thousand in the stadium that day. It was just an incredible atmosphere. But yeah, as you say, Callum, one of one of these stadiums that to walk out of. A lot of city supporters miss it now. They they love they love Main Road and they would love to go back there. But it's not to be sort of thing. It's gone. It's it's in the past now. But the stadium now, obviously, the money they've got now and what they've did the last last few years or so is just. I, mean, I love I love the way they play football and the Guardiola. It's just. Stunning, stunning stuff at times. The way I, I would love to have been, been a team that played that way. In terms of City as a club in English football at that time, what was it like playing in England? Was it was it more physical than your time in Scotland? No, no. It was, again, it was a bit a bit less pacier. You could get obviously there was there was physical players and different teams, but no, it was mostly it was a different again a different a slower. Slower pace, more like the Belgian pace sort of thing of the way they played football. Um, and obviously a lot of good teams, a lot of good players at that time. Playing against the likes of like Keegan and stuff like that and Beardley and Waddle. That was Newcastle's front line when we played against them. So yeah, 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 players like that playing in that division. So yeah, it was, it was a very competitive league. During your time there, you average a goal and a goal in every three, basically just under that. What what was it about you and that city team that gave you the confidence to go out to the pitch and, and score so many goals? Again, tell me, I, I never went on, on the pitch um, overly confident sort of thing. I, I always went out and just thought, try and just do your best and what you've got in you sort of thing. And I got off to a really good start at City. I think 
probably the first six, seven, eight games or so, I banged in about eight or nine goals and made about five or six, and it was just an incredible start. Everything that seemed to fall to me was going in, and every pass that I hit was going to somebody's head and or head on my hand. So I got off to a really fantastic start, and I wasn't really known as a goal scorer, to tell you the truth. It was more more a 10, I would say, more more trying to help people with any sort of thing. So I wasn't known, known as a goal scorer, but I got that reputation pretty early as the city sports took to me and going, wow, you're just going to score a barrel this year. But um, it was, it was a, as I said, it was a good start and it was a good, great club to play for. And playing again with players like Asa Hartford, you know, who you watch on television playing in World Cups and stuff like that. It was just a fantastic experience. You've got to tell us about the perm tear. What 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 inspired that? Uh, well, all best basically went wrong <laughs> from the first time I got a perm. To tell you the truth, obviously that was at Morton. I went to get a perm one day and and Denison and they did the perm. I went home and I looked at it and I thought, no, that's too loose. I don't like this. I want it a bit tighter. And I went back to the hairdresser the same day. I said, I, I want a perm, a tighter perm in this. And the girls actually said to me, don't do it, because it's just going to go. And I, I was adamant that I had to get this done. So I had two perms done in the same day. And that's just, my hair actually exploded, I think, that first night down the cavalry and started to rain. So it was a, a really strange. I don't know what, why I did it or why I got it, to tell you the truth. It was just a, that seemed to be a thing at the time for football players. A lot of football players to do was to get a perm. Basically, that was it, Callum. And in terms of that time, you had that look about you. You're a player who wasn't scared to put your foot in. The City fans took to you very well. Do you think that when you look back at your time at City, um, it, what, how do you describe it? Because, as I say, the fans really did take to you, and, and I'm, I'm sure your, your look at the time helped. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a strange time. I had a big I had a fallout with... Uh, Billy McNeil and um, as I said he was a, a very strict miser like Benny would come and go you could say to Benny afterwards I'm sorry or that and Benny would say I'm sorry but Billy McNeil wasn't like that sort of thing he would, he would he would keep that grudge and I was doing well in the reserves and I was scoring goals in the reserves but he just he just wouldn't put me back in that first team until um, near the end of that season as I said against Charlton well, I got a few games that season. That's not the only one, but after that, after the club season, they asked me to sign their contract for another year, and which I did. And I played one game um, down at Oxford when the team was struggling with injuries and stuff like that. Get my of the match, and then was promptly dropped again for the next week. And that was that was the end of my city career, basically. The end of the career. The, the end of that career. But, you also had a loan spell at Carlisle. Um, was that just a case of? Desperate to get games under your belt rather than sitting and playing reserve football? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Bob Stoker was a manager as well down at Carlisle at the time and also he was an icon as well, an iconic figure. So, uh, yeah, it was good to play under him as well. Um, they weren't the best team at the time, Carlisle, don't get me wrong, but, uh, yeah, it was good to get uh, first back in the first team again and back in front of a crowd and playing, playing football again, yeah. What fascinates me about you, Jim, is the fact that you went to Belgium, you played abroad, you came back playing with City, loan spell at Carlisle. At that point, I imagine it would be very easy to stay in Britain or stay go back to Scotland, but you decided to take another foreign adventure on, this time going to Sweden. What was it again that attracted you there? Was was the fact you'd been to Belgium 
and you'd experience life abroad, did that make you go, do you know, I'm going to give this a go, I've got nothing to fear? Well, Belgium, Belgium was, Lochin was a small town, and it was um, it was quiet. I mean, we were also, me and my wife married at the time, and at the time we were going to Belgium, we were just about to have our, our son at the time, and we thought, we went across to Sweden at first, and obviously seen what the place was like, etc., etc., and spoke to the people, and we enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. It was much more relaxed, you know. There wasn't as much pressure, calm as you get um, in Scotland or England, sort of thing. So it was, it was much more relaxed football than, you know, you're not getting pressurised after the game by crowds and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great time. I, I would have stayed there in Sweden if I had the chance, but. It was under, uh, they weren't in the common market at the time, and I could only stay there for five years. Because they, at the end of my contract, after five years, they offered me a major job, a player major job, which I accepted. But uh, the, the Swedish government says, no, can't keep me here, has to go home. So that's when, obviously, I came back to Morton again. And I, nearly signed for, I nearly signed for Morton before I went to um, Sweden. I spoke to Alan and... Um, was it John Wilson was the chairman at the time? Yeah. I think it was John Wilson, yeah. I think it's around, around about then. I, I met up with them as well and spoke to them as well. But I told Alan, no, I've decided that I'm going to go to Sweden and, and give it a try out there. And was the quiet lifestyle something that was a real big thing for you? Because based on this interview so far, you seem like someone that really just likes to keep yourself to yourself, be sociable when you're in and around the, the team. But... You seem like quite a private guy, so was Sweden the, the the ideal place for you to play for those five years and enjoy your football? It definitely turned out that I would have to say Camden's head. My kid was only a few months from being born at that time. And uh, to bring him up in the environment that we did and not, not like Glasgow or Manchester or something like that, the environment he was brought up in was just, um, yeah, it was just a special time. I mean, all the, most of the players that played for Market State within the town as well, so you could always meet up with each other as well. And the social life is quite good, although very expensive. And based on your experiences, would you encourage boys playing in Scotland at the moment to give Scandinavia a chance? Because there's been Absolutely. numerous Absolutely opportunities can. for players. I mean, Barry Ferguson's son, Kyle, he's playing in Sweden at the moment. Um, and okay. I interviewed him recently and he said, the best thing about it is, similar to what you've said, is it's very relaxed and calm and you can fully focus on your football without the sort of noise behind you that you get in Scotland or England? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any young, any young player at all, yeah, I would encourage them, especially go to Scandinavia. Because the football's good, you know, there's, they're not kickers in Sweden at all, really. They try and play football all the time. So, yeah, any young football, yeah, get you with some a Swedish, Swedish team or Danish team or something that wants to take you then, yeah, I would definitely say get yourself out there. Now, we talked earlier on about, you said, I was more of a creator than a goal scorer, but let's be honest, that changed when you went to Sweden, you were, you were scoring goals very, very regularly. Absolutely, absolutely, everything changed in Sweden, yeah, yeah, we played, uh, again, a different system, we played 4-5-1, where I was up top, and um, yeah, things just clicked for me there, yeah, I banged in goals, I was top goal scorer in Sweden a couple of years, I think it was, Um uh, yeah, I scored 80-odd goals or something like that, yep. I think, when I was there. So, yeah, 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 definitely. I don't know what... At 27 years old, I don't know, something just clicked in my head, and I was like, this is this is how real football is played. You know, 26, 27, and I was like, right, do this, do that. And it just, my, my, my attitude seemed to change as well. 
I don't know if it's the way they played in Sweden or whatever, but certainly, yeah, yeah. I certainly turned into a goal scorer across there, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and see, in terms, you, you talked there about the, the style of football. Is that something that you feel that in Scotland, that sort of positive ball-playing style, is that something you think we should have adopted far earlier than we ended up doing? Years ago, Callum, I've said this for years. And as I said, when I, when I went to the um, went to Belgium and saw the different way you were coached and the way you were trained, and this is it's a ball you play with, it's not running all the time. That's where your thoughts get your touch, uh, get your feel, get your vision, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, uh, and football is football, you know, it should be played on the ground. They've, for me, it's always, sometimes it's Scotland, um, <laughs> the ball's just battered all about the place. As, and you know what it's like yourself, you've watched plenty of games over the years, especially recently, I'm sure, and, and it can be a bit like pinball at times, and I always think, albeit, Sure, every every style's got its place, but in particular for young players, that's that's not doing anything to develop their game when a ball's flying over their head for most of it. No, no, absolutely can. Uh, I can remember um, my second spell at Morton, and my first game was at uh, uh, Forfar. Up at Forfar, it was. That was my first game, my second spell, at, and it was just the first half was absolutely awful. And I'm thinking, what have I done here? The ball was just getting battered from right back up the park to the goalkeeper, battered in. And I came in at half time, and John, John, John McMaster said to me, You need to get yourself into the corners, Jim. And I was like, John, I don't do that anymore. He said, I said, Get the ball to my feet, and then we'll start playing football. In the second half, that's what we did. I think we scored five goals, four or five goals in the second half. And the football we played from that day, probably for the next 20 matches or so, was just absolutely superb because we. McInnes started playing, he's like, this is the way to play, and Scott MacArthur's and Derek Collins and stuff like that. That's the way they wanted to play as well, but it was just, as I said before I came, it was just smash, smash, smash. And seeing your second spell at Morton, it'd been 10 years since you'd left the first time. What was different around the club when you went back? Obviously, Alan McGraw, who was your reserve manager, was now the first team manager, but what else was different in around the club? Um... Not a lot, really. Just a, a few, a few faces that were there before. Like Archie was always old. Archie was always there, going near the tier and training and stuff like that. But you know, Wally was still there. Donkey was still there. Andy Bryan, stuff like that. So there wasn't really a lot of change. But I think, no, no, I wouldn't say there was a lot of change for me. Can't wait to tell you too. Obviously, the crowds were a bit lower as well when you played at Capital at that time, but. Nothing much apart from that, it changed. And in terms of Alan McGraw, you'll know this having, as, a, as a, a reference just a minute ago there, playing in reserves with him. When he was in charge at Morton, he always gave a platform for young players, the likes of Alan Mahood, Derek McInnes, and so many others. He always encouraged the young players to play, and he wasn't shy in telling the media that they were very good as well, which ultimately led, led to Morton selling quite a few on. What was it like playing in and around that team? Because... I imagine the likes of McInnes, as you said, who liked to play football, made your job a hell of a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I said, that for, after that first game, we changed the way we played. And uh, uh, my, as I said, Derek McInnes started to love it. I used to go down with Derek uh, to training most nights with him and uh, Collins and MacArthur. And they said that as well. He said, since you come in, the way we've changed, the way we've played football is just completely different and we're absolutely loving it now. 
to not run all over the place. We're playing we we pass five yard passes, ten yard passes instead of the forty or fifty yard ones. So I would I would say yeah, definitely for a big spell. I think we went unbeaten on quite an unbeaten run, but I can't remember how many games. Uh, but having those people, I didn't see the best of Alan Mahood. Alan came back um, from Forest, I think it was, he went to. Yep. And then again, he did his cruise again in uh, a cup final, wasn't it, at uh, Love Street. So I didn't really see the best of Alan Mahood. But you had good players as Derek Collins and uh, also McInnes, um, Alec Marty, uh, Ron Alexander up front. Uh, Martin Doak and Big Doogie Johnson at the back. Yeah, it was a, it was a good again a good squad. Just just I don't know what was missing in it, but um, definitely a good squad. And obviously, as you said, that as soon as somebody was interested to play at that time, they were, they were out, out there. Derek Lully as well was another one. Derek Lully was coming through at the time. So yeah, well that's the way Morton. That's that's the way the business the business they did at the time. You know, if a young player was coming through and. Somebody offered three hundred, four hundred thousand. David Topkin as well. I forgot about big David Topkin. What a player he was. He was, he was stunning when he came through. You could also see he was going to be a big talent. And in terms of um, one of the guys I want to ask you about is John McMaster. And the reason I say this, and both guys have went on record. Alan Mahood, when he was on the show, said that he really liked John McMaster. He was very demanding, but that got the best out of him. Whereas Derek Lilly said, I had tons of respect for what he'd achieved, but the sort of old school mentality of shouting and balling wasn't for me. Where did you stand in that? I've probably been a Derek Lilly one as well. I think John mellowed a bit when I was there, but definitely when I first came in, yeah, he could be a very angry man at times, definitely. He's also come from a team that set big standards in Aberdeen and stuff like that, and the stuff that they won, and maybe he wasn't seeing the standards that he wanted, and maybe could. It should have came across a, a different way. I like John a lot. I do. I, I, I like him a lot. And sometimes that's the way you've got to be to see to see what someone's like. And as I said, he was a bad cop sort of thing. And again, Alan was a good cop at that time. And in terms of him being the good cop and Alan, he's a big character as we know. He's he's in good health again by all accounts now, which is fantastic to hear. Um, yeah. What was he like in terms of man management? Because I, I've been lucky enough to meet him a few times, and he's. He's always very chirpy. Yeah, yeah. Alan was, again, he, he was a man of few words, really, Alan. He would, he would say stuff and he'd, he'd be out of there out addressing him, sort of thing. But it was man to man, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. He would, he would tell you, you know, if you're dropped or you're not playing well, etc., etc. I've had a few arguments with Alan over the years about things. And that's it. That's the way it should be, you know. As long as you can, you can come round the next day and say, I was wrong or I was wrong. That, that he's always been an absolute, an absolute gentleman, I would say, through my career, when I've, I've ever been involved with Alan. And in terms of David Hopkins, he's back at the club being the manager now. Before we come to that, you, you, we talked about his talent. When you look at the career he achieved when he left Morton the first time, Chelsea, Palace, Leeds, Bradford, Palace again, clearly the big career in the top flight in England. You don't achieve that unless you're a special player. What was he like as a character? Was he a big character or was he quite a shy guy? When he was first coming through, he wasn't a big character, no. Again, he was one of those players who was, was pretty quiet in the dressing room and went on to the park and did what he could do. Um, I didn't play, I'm sure I didn't play that long with, with David at, at Morton, maybe a year or so, if I did that. But uh, you, I, I could obviously see yeah, what a talent he was and he was, he was going to do stuff like that. He was just, he was, he was just far too good for, for us, sort of thing. 
And this is the thing that I find is a compliment to you, Jim, in terms of the eras you played in at Morton. The first era you played in, top flight football, um, upsetting the odds in terms of the likes of Aberdeen when Sir Alex's team came down. They really didn't like it, as, as many of them have on record the same. The second time you come back, the early 90s, under Alan McGraw, that was another period of time, albeit the club didn't get to where they wanted to be in terms of league. But it was an entertaining team that's still talked about now. When you look back at both spells at Morton, how proud are you that you were involved in two times that, that fans cherish so dearly? Well, that's, that's really nice to hear. I didn't know that about the second spell. But, um, but definitely, definitely the first spell I had there, with the, with the way people speak about it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with a few uh, Morton supporters clubs on Facebook and stuff like that. And yeah, the way they talk about that team is... Uh, Everybody say everybody's a legend in it, sort of thing. It's it's so nice to be talk, to be talked about in that manner. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, later on in life, that's the that's the thing you go on a path to do, so so people can talk about you in later years, and also they still remember that team. They certainly do, and so they should, because when you look back through the records, and the club's not been in the top flight for a long time now, as we both mentioned, but. You look back at that team and they weren't just what you would call a team that just made up the numbers in the top flight. You competed as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's what I said that earlier on, Cam. Yeah, I said we didn't fear anyone. Even we were going to Parkhead and Ibrox or Tawdry, Easter Road, Tynecastle. If we played our game, we knew we knew we'd players there that could, you know, could beat these teams. And as I said, we did that many a time. We proved many a person wrong. How do you rate football now? You, you talked earlier about Gladiola and you love seeing that style of football on the ground, but in terms of Scottish football, where do you see the game being at? Oh, um, still a wee bit in the, the dark edges, I would say, when it comes down to coaching and stuff like that. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not inside clubs, don't get me wrong. And I've, I've, I haven't seen Scottish football probably for a wee while now, but... Um, for me, it's not really progressive. It should have done over 40 years since I've been in football. That's it's a hell of a long time. It's, for me, it's still, a lot of it's still much the same. One of the things Maybe. that Craig Brown is very passionate about, I've spoken to him recently, and he he always goes on, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, I agree with him. He always says he doesn't have he doesn't have a clue why we haven't invested in indoor facilities when you consider the weather for kids. Is that something you think should be a priority for our game? Yes, yes, absolutely. They had when I went to Sweden. Obviously, you have the bad winters here in Sweden, and they they all got and in, they all inside indoor uh, stadiums you could play in and play eleven aside, five aside, or whatever. So. Yeah, definitely. Over the years, that's that's one thing for sure that that should have happened. And again, as I said, forty odd years since I've been in, I, I've been in football, and nothing's really changed. Calum, I, I can see, tell you truth. And that's the thing as well. I'm sure <clears throat> it saddens you. It saddens me. I mean, I'm 24, so I always say this to people: the last time Scotland, the last time our men's team got to a major tournament, I was three years old, and. I'm hoping I see it soon, but obviously I can take no guarantees. For you, who's lived a lot longer than me, and you've seen golden eras of Scottish football, you've played in them, and you witnessed the national team when they the likes of Sunnis, Dalgleish, Stevie Nicholl could go on and on with, with so many other names as well. When you look at the national team now, do you think part of that reason, in terms of our game not developing as it 
should have in terms of the technical side? Do you think that's what's held us back ultimately in the long term? Is other nations such as Belgium where you played have clearly invested in technical players and facilities and they're reaping the benefits? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the bottom line, isn't it? I mean, as you said there about Belgium and Belgium turned into the number one team in the world. You're like, wow, where did that come from? And all these players have, have produced over the last what, five, six years, seven years or so. It's just, just stunning. And obviously it is. It's, the government's putting money in, into indoor facilities, etc., etc., and, and that's what that's obviously coaching as well. As I said, I'm big on coaching, so coaching got to be a big part of it. Round just put someone on a, a football field and not not tell them what to do or, or whatever. So, so I definitely I would, I would agree with that, Callum. And before I let you go, Jim, I'm, I'm conscious of your time. A few quick fire questions. Um, what's your favourite sport outside of football? You know, I obviously don't play any sport now. My knees are knackered now, so I can't do anything. But I would say probably tennis. I played a lot of tennis when uh, I, I, I wasn't playing football. Yeah, I love I love tennis a lot. Where's the your favourite place that you've travelled to in the world so far? Oh, I was I was have to say Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur when uh, Man City went there for January time for play three or four games, and it was just a. a I mean, obviously that's a long time ago, but definitely a different place to, to see was Malaysia. Absolutely, that's incredible. And in terms of out with football, where would you say is the best place you've been on holiday? Uh, best place on holiday, I would say. Mm. Praia de Rocha, I would say, in, in Portugal, in the Algarve. So yeah, it was probably yeah, good, as good a holiday as we had. A few football ones as well. Best players you played yep. with? Sorry? Best players you played with? Best players? Well, the best player I ever played with was, as I said before, was Wabanski. He was the best player I ever played with. Uh, close to that, people like Jimmy Holmes. I looked up to Jimmy Holmes a lot when when he was at Mon. He was just a, a fantastic left-back and I, I learned a lot from him. Um, Asa Hartford at Manchester City, Neil McNabb at Manchester City. Uh, Raymond Moments, you know, the ones I mentioned in, in Belgium as well. As I put big David Topkin in as well, as well. So I thought definitely when I saw him play, I thought he was going to be a top player. And it, it turned out that way. Although he wasn't really that time, but it turned out that way. So definitely Banski is the, the best player I've ever played with here. Toughest direct opponent? Again, Calum, I've said when we were on the park, I didn't, I didn't look if it was Willie Miller, I'm a police, Roy Aiken, whoever it was, I, I, it didn't bother me, it was, it was just another name, it was just a person in front of me, so I can't, I can't really say there's, there's them, I mean obviously there have been great players I've played against, and people like Danny McGrain, and Sandy Jablin and stuff like that, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say any, I wouldn't say any were my toughest, no. <laughs> Brilliant answer. Um, in terms of guys you played with, is there one player that stands out in particular as being maybe underrated in the sense that as a player, when you were on the park, you could see what they brought to the team that maybe the fans didn't quite realise? Um, yeah, that's another very good question, yeah. <laughs> I can't honestly think, Calm that. I can't, I can't really know, sorry. Not a problem. Um, no. 
In terms of yourself, this is something that fascinates me. That the debate these days is Ronaldo, Messi, etc. You're lucky enough the likes of Maradona um, are playing in the sort of era when you were sort of growing up and playing as well. Who would you say is the best player ever? Maradona. Even better than Messi? Sorry? Even better than Messi today? For me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although Maradona's, obviously, the other things he's done after he left the ball, blah, 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 is put that down. I love Messi. Absolutely love Messi. Don't get me wrong. But for me, and you ask me that question, with Maradona, for me, it was just mesmerising some of the stuff he was doing when I was maybe 18, 19 year old and looking at him thinking, wow, what a player that boy is. So for me, definitely Maradona. Without, without I love, as I said, I love Messi, Ronaldo as well. Also, people at Pele as well. When I was growing up, Rivaldo, Revolino. But for me, Maradona. For me, yeah. And it's in terms of Maradona. Uh, in terms of the game now, when he played, something that I always admire is people sometimes forget this. I think in my generation, you were allowed to get kicked. Well, as soon as you allowed, but basically referees would be quite lenient on opposition players kicking lumps out of you. Could you imagine him playing in the game now where he's so protected? Yeah, well, that, that was a game that I grew up in as well, Callum, that somebody tackled you, you, you tackled them back, you didn't you, you didn't get intimidated by them. I mean, a lot of people would try and intimidate you and tell you we're going to kick you here, there and everywhere. Fair enough. I'm glad you think that way. Well, let's see. So, um, yeah, yeah. How would how would how would you fancy playing in the game today compared to what we've talked about how you like to play football with the protection as I've just said there for if Maradona was playing today would that play into your hands as well when defenders couldn't just kick you rather than try and take you on? Yeah, oh definitely. I think any players, um, yeah, any skillful player, yeah, they're getting that. You're not getting tackled from behind or the side or whatever. Now you know you're going to be able to control it and. Get it in your head, but you're going to the next. So for me, football is definitely changing that way, the rules, etc. But um, for me, it was much better back in the day when you, you could go in for the. I mean, don't get me wrong, some of the tackles were fierce, but most of the tackles were going for the ball sort of thing in my day. Because some of the tackles were absolutely thunderous. So. <laughs> you also mentioned the fact that you had the chance to potentially play for Sir Alex Ferguson, but red tape sort of held you back from that. The last question I've got for you before I let you go is if you could choose a manager from any era of football to play under, who would it be and why would you choose them? Guardiola. Guardiola because he plays total football. Absolutely total football. And it's a, as I said before, it's a team I'd love to have played in to play that sort of football. But he demands, he demands so much from players and that's what you want as well. But the way Guardiola over here, even the Barcelona team years ago, when people were saying I don't like this tippy tacky football and all that and I'm like, You kidding me on, this is this is total football. This is this is what I'd love to have played in. So I'll definitely say for me, Guardiola, yeah. Brilliant. Thanks for your time, Jim. It's been an absolute pleasure and, and as I say, I'm looking forward to releasing this one because I think it's important that guys who played in your era of football get the chance to share their stories because I always think now modern players, um, so much respect for them but they're restricted in what they can say, whereas guys from your era are happy to tell it as it is, and that's the way football should be, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely, Cam. I totally agree with that. Definitely. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, mate. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep-sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song They'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean
ocean I will make her home in a deep sea cave And her shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song